0: Hello, everyone. My name is Spencer George, and you're listening to The Good Folk Podcast. When you think of Appalachia, what comes to mind? Is it the stereotypical imagery of rolling hills and crumbling barns, of mountain peaks and churches tucked back into the woods? Is it of lush forests and winding trails through which hikers traverse? Is it of coal mining and opioids, of startling headlines and complicated politics? Union histories and artists' strongholds. Appalachia, as many of you who listen to this podcast will know, is many things. Most of all, for a lot of us, it is home. It is a place both beautiful and heartbreaking, both progressive and stuck in history. Folklore has contributed deeply to the myth of this region, as have journalists who have long flocked to the mountains looking for a glimpse of the real America. This country has spent decades scapegoating the region, casting it aside, and leaving it behind. But in turn, those who call it home have come together to fight back and rewrite that story. I come from a family with long roots in the Appalachian foothills, and for me, it has always felt like home, though a claim to this place still holds on my tongue. There is nowhere I have loved more, nor run away from so fast, A pattern that has tracked its way throughout my matrilineal line, all of us looking for better opportunity, better ways of life, somewhere else. In many ways, all of us are still looking for that home. Today's episode is about home and about the struggle to find it. It is about Appalachia and the stories that surround this region. how A few menial, drawn-up lines have come to define so much of this country and so many of our own identities within it. I'm thrilled to be joined in this conversation by Jesse Barber, a documentary photographer based in the Appalachian region of North Carolina. His work focuses on the culture of rural communities and the influence of traditional values, such as those tied to labor and religion. Raised in the rural South, Barber has an understanding of the nuanced perspective in small communities, and he seeks to expand our understanding of how religion, labor, and history intersect with the land today. Jesse articulates so many of the things I have long felt and I'm just grateful our paths have crossed. His work has been featured in the Washington Post and Rolling Stone, among many other outlets, and has won countless awards. He sheds light on this place, not trying to make it something else, but simply showing it as it is. Like Appalachia itself, it's beautiful, it's heartbreaking, it's home. I hope you enjoy this conversation. So I'll follow up with you with all of that after, but yeah, let's just okay.
1: let's
0: get into it if you're ready.
1: Sounds good. Cool. Yeah.
0: So I definitely want to talk about your work and your photography and Appalachian, all the things, but I'm super excited to have you here. And I think the question I actually want to start with is tell me something true about yourself.
1: Something true?
0: <laughs> something true.
1: Um... I'm a conflicted person, got a lot of complex uh, thoughts about my own work, um, Appalachia, like representing it, trying to represent a small part of it, I guess. So is that good?
0: (laughs) Yeah, that's a good that's a good way to put it. I too feel conflicted, especially when I think about my relationship to home and to Appalachia and to the idea of being a creative person in that place. So that's a great transition, I think, into tell us about your work. Um, obviously, I know about your work, but for anyone who doesn't, how would you describe what you do and your journey into it?
1: Um, well, I guess, <clears throat> I guess I could start with, like, where photography started for me. Um, I'd say its origin started with – um when I got out of high school, my cl- longest oldest friend, um, we met the summer before first grade and uh playing baseball together. But we um took a trip with his mom and his grandpa um at West. It was my first time at West. And my mom had a um like a little Fuji film digital point and shoot little camera from the early 2000s and uh, wanted me to take pictures so I like took thousands of photos of just everything Um, and she also gave me a a journal to write in Um, and she wanted me to write in it every day and to bring it back home to her because she'd never been out west Um, I don't think She'd only been to Kentucky, I think, to visit my grandpa's family, but, um, she wanted me to bring back things to share, you know, what did I see and everything. So I think that's like an origin of what I still do now, weirdly enough, is just, um, meeting people and having conversations with people, photographing people, um, And then reporting back and then bringing it, bringing it back and to share it, I guess, is the main thing that I, well, I enjoy making the work, but I enjoy sharing, sharing what I'm doing or sharing what I've heard, sharing who I've met with other people, I guess. I like
0: the way you describe that with kind of the communal piece being inherent to it. I feel like Sometimes people will talk about visual work and it's it's meant to showcase, right, to shed light on something. And not as often when it comes to art forms of visual art or writing or photography, is it really about the act of bringing it back and having other people be a part of that. Um, and that's so beautiful the way you describe it of wanting to ha- have your mom be involved because she couldn't be there with you. And I think as we're going to get in, obviously, to the conversation about Appalachia, but especially with Appalachia, it's so much of wanting other people to see what we see and what we know this place to be, which when you look at the history of photography in the region is very often outsiders portraying that rather than people who really do get to see it up close. Could you tell us a little bit about how you got from that to where you are now with photography and a little bit about the work that you've done thus far? Because your work is amazing.
1: Thank you. Um, Yeah, it was uh, after that I was at community college and uh, took a class with a man named David Hessel. Um, He was kind of like an old style photojournalist from like the film days. And um, he's had like a very unique style of teaching photography. And that was my intro to it. Um, And I would photograph... After that, I worked at Habitat for Humanity, built houses, and I would photograph things going on at the houses or events. But I would also uh, use the camera as like an escape to get out of my mom's house, uh, the place I was born, to explore. A lot of the times, it was like exploring, like the mountains or like hiking, and so it became like an adventure. I got into the whole, like, adventure photography kind of thing uh, for a little while. Um, And then things, like, really shifted. I, like, listened to audiobooks driving back and forth to work. And I listened to Hillbilly Elegy. I think somebody told me about it to read or whatever. I had no idea what was going on.
0: It's like we all have an origin story with Hilbo theology where somehow we've all encountered it and I can't actually remember who it was that first told me to read it or recommended it. And I would like to have a conversation with them now, you know.
1: Yeah. Um so yeah, it was like I had no idea what was going on. Like I didn't know what Appalachia was, although I was like in the region technically through government standards. <laughs> um, you know, talk the language. Uh grew up in some of the traditions, I guess, but, um, didn't know what it was, but then that introduced me to the whole, um, world. And I started getting into like looking at looking at Appalachia and I was like, this is amazing. Um, so I started photographing in like a more, I guess, socially conscious way, like conscious about myself and my family and where I was born um into relation in relation to what was going on in like the country, I guess, and so yeah but i guess it it also came at a time when I was like um, wanting to move away from home, I guess and move out into the world, so it became like a a process of like myself, processing myself, I guess, over self-reflection.
0: Did you feel that kind of as you got into the arts, there was this pressure to not be here? I know that that was something that I felt, um, kind of having that realization of, oh, wow, the life that I've lived is what other people would describe as Appalachian and having these roots and, and not even really realizing that. And then kind of also feeling that pressure of if I'm going to do this, you know, that's not possible to do here. Mostly for me, it just, there was so little representation. And of course, now you look back and there's so many amazing artists that are from this region and have done incredible things in this region, but that wasn't the narrative that I knew or understood. And I, I found that's a pretty common pressure. I don't know if that's something you ever felt.
1: Um, I think like the idea of being like, I just feel like I never had the um the ability to think that I could just move somewhere else to photograph like that is that is a ridiculous thought to think of like growing up you know it it was like the parameters of life of how far you could imagine, well, I guess I could imagine great things, but the reality my reality was like you were born here, you were <laughs> stay in this little circle you know found a good job um so those were like more pertinent things And photography was just like a a thing to enjoy or experience but um I I feel like in my journey it hasn't been until now where I've really started to be like to look at the people who have left um home or have left where they've grew up and seen how like exponentially more opportunities you get in that experience um and so that's a thing to wrestle with is like well do you want to stay connected to the people you you know here or do you want more opportunity And in the process, do you want to to become disconnected?
0: I feel like I have this conversation with a lot of people about this sort of Appalachian exodus, right, of so many young people who are leaving, um, especially now that people often have the opportunities to or feeling like they're going to have more opportunities somewhere else. And then at the same time. I had a friend who said to me, like, I don't want to be a stereotype of just another Appalachian who leaves. And then, you know, you have amazing organizations like the stay project and so many just places and spaces that are attempting to show that you can have those opportunities here, but there's still that disconnect when you're growing up of, is that actually possible for me? And, you know, we've kind of talked around it, but what is home to you? Where is that? And what does that look like? So I feel like that might be an important thing to mention.
1: <laughs> um, Caldwell County, um, which is, uh, I'm in Watauga County now in Boone and heading, heading east, uh, uh, you will arrive if you head directly east, you'll arrive in, uh, in Caldwell County. It's like down, down the mountain, off the mountain, I guess. But, but yeah, I've, uh, I lived there 20, twenty eight years um in various locations. <coughs> my mother, her she's lived there, my uh grandfather's my grandfather and grandmother lived there, great grandfather and great grandfather lived there. Uh great great lived in Wilkes, which is just the other next county over, or I guess above Coa County. But yeah, it's just been a long time being here in the foothills, a lot of textile workers, furniture workers. Um,
0: I definitely want to talk about the idea of the foothills and Appalachia and the foothills' relationship to Appalachia because you. We've talked about this, but my family's also from the foothills. We're up in Surrey County, and it's hard to unpack my relationship to the mountains and then not being really in the mountains and these like kind of borders of Appalachia. But when you think about home and what it looks like and how it feels how would you describe your home or your relationship to it um i know that's a loaded question
1: no yeah well i want to return to the foothills as a periphery to the mountains but
0: um oh we're gonna get there don't worry
1: (laughs) yeah home is uh i mean it's just a lot of uh It's like a mixed bag of, like, partially commercial, partially... It's like, uh... I don't know how to explain it. Like, there's evidence of the past, you know, textile furniture boom everywhere you look. Um, in the places that I've lived. Um but it's like remnants of the past that's like no longer a reality for a lot of people so
0: i feel like that's a great metaphor kind of just for this whole region and the the broader south in general of there's remnants of the past that a lot of people want to cling onto but it's also a reality that ultimately isn't possible in the world we live in today and there's this disconnect i think in so much of appalachian and southern studies or we, it comes up a lot for students of Appalachian Southern Studies in that people, I, I just describe it to people sometimes as like there's two different Souths and people live in completely different versions, right? There's this version where there's the remnants of the past and so many people still want to live in that and then there's a totally different version and there's just such a widening gap between them.
1: Yeah, and I like, <clears throat> I feel like a lot of my my I guess focus and photo work kind of like lives in that blurred space of like the history that we that people wish for um and the reality of the modern world that we're in now And, and the disconnect and the like the friction between the two um like you think about like my family You would think that like from the stories that my dad tells that he just got out of high school, you know, it's like he's like still talking about his buddies in high school. You know, my uncle talking about his hot rod cars that he got, you know, it's like we talk about the past continually in the present and we continue to bring it up and live kind of like living in it
0: as Faulkner says, the past is never dead. It's not even past. (laughs) Like the (laughs) seminal Southern studies quote, you know, (laughs) but it is, it's true of, yeah, my family is very similar the way we talk about things and it's hard to reckon with, but I I do think your work does such a great job of kind of leaning into some of these representations. And I promise we are going to get back to the foothills because I I definitely want to hear your thoughts on it, but leaning into these representations of what people might expect of the South and then countering that with what your lived experience here has been. And we haven't mentioned it yet, but you are a student in Appalachian studies and you're an amazing photographer and documentarian. You've been published in a variety of incredible outlets and just done, won some amazing awards, done a lot of really incredible work. And I think you do such a great job of kind of placing these two Souths up against each other, both in com- com- comparison and contrast. That's the word I'm looking for
1: yeah um, and I feel like a lot of it is like um, something that I've like dealt with myself I guess is like being in that same mindset Um, it's something that took me a while to like figure out um, because I lived in a I lived in that you know like the reminiscent past and so um, a lot of my photo work uh, especially this summer in Kentucky with Boyd Station you know um, I was trying to photograph those like physical manifestations of the past And but there wasn't anything there like there used to be an old grocery store there but there's nothing it's just a grassy lot now it's like how do you how do you try to visualize the past, um, for us to like reflect on it now, I guess. And to reflect on like, reflect on like where we are now in relation to that past is a hard one. And that that's come up a lot in like my bigger photo work. Um, it's just been a, it's probably been like a four or five year long process. Um, titled it, May the Lord Bless You and Keep You in Good Health. After my my dad had uh, um, left a comment on something I'd posted on Facebook. And he, he, he left that May the Lord Bless You and Keep You in Good Health. And I was like, that's amazing. I'm going to use that. Which... It's about worse, but.
0: <laughs> I pull so many. I think the novel I'm working on now, like a um, good majority of the key phrases came off of road signs or mm. posters that I've bought at flea markets. Like the slogan nice. for the book is only a God can make a tree, which to the right of me is a poster that says only God can make a tree that I found at, at a flea market. And it's that's what's really inspiring to me, at least about this region is it's home, but there's also so many things about my own relationship to it that there are these little visual clues to communicate where we are, right? That we're stuck in the past, but there's also this element of being able to imagine some sort of different future through this creative work that I think is so important to where we are right now, especially when you get into like the rural South and Appalachia, but it's also really beautiful. And, and I totally agree with you. Like my work has been so much a personal journey of like unpacking my own relationship to home through these different stories and things that I'm producing and trying to figure out, you know, where is my role within it? And I think now we can return back to the foothills because that's something that I think about a lot of who has a right to claim any kind of Appalachian identity. I know for me, like when I first got into Appalachian studies, I was like, yeah, my whole family's Appalachian. That's my identity now. And then I, The older I get, the more I think about that, and I'm like, well, I might have been raised in a very Appalachian family who comes from there and has those roots, but I personally didn't grow up in Appalachia. So do I have a right to claim that? These days, I lean towards no. Like, I could say I have roots, but it can't be necessarily my identity. Um, And then when you get into these, like, borderlands of Appalachia, this is something that comes up a lot of, you know, we have these drawn lines around this whole region, but what's to say that somebody on one side of the line has a different lived experience than somebody on the other just because one is Appalachian and one isn't? And how do you really define these borders? I would love all of your thoughts on this. um, And I know that's something you think about a lot in your own work.
1: I spent my summer photographing in Harrison County, Kentucky, um, with Boyd Station. And it's. I looked on the ARC map and The ARC, like, goes around that county for some weird, weird reason. Um, But the county is, like, there's a lot of agriculture. There's a lot of people still farming. Like, one-lane roads. And it's like, well, this is, like, this could be Appalachia. Why isn't this Appalachia? Um, It's a little far from the mountains, though. It's central Kentucky. So, I think... And I've talked to people up here in the mountains, you know, and they'll be like, you know, where are you from? And I'm like, Caldwell County. And they're like, oh, you're a Flatlander. And so, i like, well, yeah, I guess to them, I wouldn't be Appalachian. But that's, and I feel like the um, Appalachian, like, identity has been, like, kind of, uh, kind of turned into like a buzzword or like popular for people to try to like latch, to latch onto.
0: Oh yeah. It's totally commodified because now it it's like people can sell things based on the Appalachian identity. And especially in the world of folklore, this comes up a ton of, you know, you have a lot of white Southerners who wish to absolve themselves of any guilt they might feel. And so they cling to an Appalachian identity rather than reckoning with what the South has historically been and has historically done. And so many folklorists will come in and instead of studying places in the South, they'll go to study Appalachia because then they can oftentimes avoid having to really deal with histories of race relations and histories of slavery because they can say, well, I'm studying the mountains and that didn't happen here. Which is why we have so many folklorists working in Appalachia, and very few folklorists really working, especially when you get out towards the coasts here in North Carolina. Um, and we, you know, we have a large concentration around the Triangle, but in terms of like the Piedmont and the hills of the Piedmont itself, very little there as well. Everybody wants to go up to Appalachia, and I think the bigger question is like, what makes something Appalachian, and how do we even go about defining that? Is it just undefinable? I don't know.
1: We need like a, we need like a, a a further separation, you know, like foothills uh, studies or something, you know, because it it's like it's true. <laughs> we do. It's its own little. It's its own little like place because it's like in the mountains you had well a lot of a lot of the narrative is that there was a lot of like subsistence farmers, but that's, there's a little more complex than that, but, and then like in this, in North Carolina specifically, you had like the Piedmont where you had so many textile mills, but then you had the foothills, which is where like there was good rivers for good, clean water. And, Ample spaces to build these uh, self-sustaining, uh, like mill factories that could be powered off the water, and so that created a little pocket of uh, commercialization and an in, in industry. And it's like butting up against the mountains, the like the true mountain, you know, people. And what you have is a lot of like mountain people. Coming down, out off the mountain to work in these mills. So then you had like, the commercialism that was happening in the Piedmont, and then the mountain lifestyle like clashing in this little, the little place where the mountains began. Um, so I feel like that's uh, that continues today. I feel like it's like a it's like a mixed bag of where it's like well it's not. It's not got a lot of commercial industrial success, but there's a little bit, you know, there was a lot of music festivals and filler conventions um, that happened in the foothills. Um, So there was like a lot of like culture that was happening in this area, but.
0: You're right. We do need like foothill studies because it is a very interesting region. Um, And that's, I mean, that's the story of my family is that my grandma left Surrey County, and came down to Winston Salem for work, but still basically raised my mother with her family up in Surrey County as much as possible, and in that kind of whole world. And I think there are so many people that have a similar story of being raised in a tradition, even if you weren't raised in that place. And then it does; these kind of borderlands become such a melting pot of different opportunities and different things and and different traditions in a way that's really interesting. And it's it reminds me of how people reckon with like Florida and Texas in Southern studies of like, we don't quite know what to do with it. It's, it is part of it, but it is also like not part of it. And it's kind of its own thing. And yeah, we we need a whole foothills concentration in Appalachian studies and you're a student of Appalachian studies. So I'd love to hear a little bit more about your journey into that. Um, which is, it's kind of like folklore. A lot of people don't know. You can go and study these things, but you can go and study these things. (laughs) (laughs)
1: Yeah, Um, but I'll say I feel like a lot of us from the foothills are like we are like children born of industry, born of like this new industrial boom that happened in the South after the Civil War. So we're like we're like physical like manifestations of that, and all of the baggage and also the good things that came with it. So. Um, the ideas on religion and the ideas on labor and politics definitely created, like, who we are. Um, and now we're reckoning with it. We're like, well, <laughs> I, I feel differently. I don't want to work in a mill or a factory. Um, I want to do something different. And so...
0: And like the death of mill. I mean, so many mill towns now are just like Durham is I live in Durham. This was a former mill town back in the day. You know, now these are just like trendy loft apartments of which I am. I mean, I'm sitting here in a trendy loft apartment. Like I'm in no position to talk, but so many mill towns are defunct. And then this kind of idea of like rural revitalization of then you have a lot of developers that want to come in and make these arts communities, which is good in theory and often plays out in not so great ways um which continue to contribute contribute to a lot of the problems i think we're seeing yeah
1: so my (laughs) my like journey i guess into appalachian studies um i originally was in sustainable development i wanted to like learn about all of that so that i could better inform my photographs, but um, talking to my advisors, they were like, We think that you are in the wrong program. <clears throat> and I was like, Cool, <laughs> I'll switch. Uh, so I went to
0: You're like, What am I supposed to do with that information? You know, <laughs>
1: uh, I didn't know what I was doing, so I was like, These people know what they're doing, right? So I go with them, but um. So, yeah, I switched to interdisciplinary studies. So that's where I would make my own degree. And I ended up making a degree entitling it Documentary Studies in Appalachia. So I did, like, half intro Appalachia courses, half documentary practice, both in photo and video. Um, so that was my, like, entryway, I guess. And, like... Along that time, um, I was working for the university documentary film services here on campus and um, um I was like running a camera for them i'd this is like the second time that I had ever run a camcorder or whatever, but I understood understood visuals it's the same practice it's just moving visuals, right. <laughs>
0: that's what i'm telling myself now that i'm taking documentary courses i'm like yeah it's it's the same thing yeah. right it's all the same in Color, theory
1: <laughs> shape line you know composition it's all the same there's a little bit of difference whereas in photos you want some like you want free space but in documentary you want like well <laughs> you want full space but anyway um i was helping a grad student with south arts work And I made a little video from one of the fieldwork visits uh, interviewing a molasses maker. And they were like, this is great. You're going to be the next South Arts graduate worker. And I was like, okay. So throughout the rest of my undergraduate work, I worked with South Arts to do fieldwork. And then now here I am. Two two and a half years later or something, um, still doing field work for them, uh, South Arts in my master's program. So, and that's like been like the, it's been a huge piece to like keeping me here and keeping me engaged is a, doing a lot of that work because, um, I mean, theory is great, but practice and Meeting people and uh, being engaged with stories is that's that's the real stuff that matters, I think, to me. But
0: have you felt when you go into communities and especially rural southern communities to do field work on behalf of an institution? I know coming from Chapel Hill, especially if you're doing work in the mountains, there is a large distrust of the institution because it's why do you have all this all these resources and all this funding and, you know, now y'all want to come to the mountains. Um, is that something that you have felt of kind of this distrust of the academic world or how do you negotiate and navigate your position as somebody who's working with the university, but also has deep ties to the places that you're working in?
1: Yeah. Um, I feel like Chapel Hill has a <laughs> a different reputation than
0: you can rag on Chapel Hill here. It's okay. Uh
1: as the state's premium uh premium unleaded uh education for the, uh, built on plantation money and all that kind of stuff uh, <laughs> app state I feel like i mean app state is a bit of a how do you put this a bit of a problem for the boone community as in like this the issues that students have housing and jobs and all this kind of stuff there's just too much there's not enough space for everyone um, I feel like when I'm doing field work I it's weird I don't know I never really thought about this but I don't have a filter of you know Appalachian culture and uh, I am a representative of Appalachian State University I'm thinking of myself as like a you know my own representative, like, I'm me, Jesse Barber is there <laughs> to meet with this person to hear their story. Um, so, yeah, I I haven't really had much, like, you know, friction with, like, me being part of this institution. I mean, a lot of people don't even know what South Arts is. Um, so, um, and a lot of people that I interview mm-hmm. are people like that are on South Arts List that are like grant awardees. Um, so these are like, these are well, a, a few of the, quite a few of them are well established like artists and they need monetary help to build something or build a studio or fix their house or buy supplies so it's a lot of different things but
0: so are those people that you're then coming in and doing like documentary work with on behalf of south arts or what's your field work process like i'm always into as a field worker i'm always just interested in other people's processes
1: yeah um so south arts gives me like four people like each semester it's like we need you to interview these people. And then I have to fill in the rest of the, I do seven in total. So, you know, you get three other people that you need to identify and like reach out to. Um, Those are the more difficult ones to try to like poke around and be like, who, who do I, and also be like, well, does this person fit under the category of folk art? which is kind of frustrating to be like
0: oh we could have a whole conversation about the category <laughs> of folk art right because i find i run into this a lot of in folklore traditions storytelling obviously big deal however everybody loves oral storytelling and there's very little room for like traditional i don't even want to call it traditional because my my advisor once said a lot of the work that I'm doing is folklore futurisms and yes. looking at like what do we do with fandom objects and Harry Potter wands being sold on Etsy. But but really what I'm most interested in is always like written storytelling. And there's not a lot of room for that. It's not a traditional folk art. You might have things like if I'm gonna sit up here with a banjo and tell you a story, then yeah, that's a traditional folk art. But if I'm gonna write it down and just give it to somebody in like a booklet Maybe if the act of making the book itself was, you know, I'm hand binding it and I'm making my own paper, then it's a folk art. But there's so many antiquated categories in these fields of study that you're right. The definition of folk art is something we should probably change.
1: Yeah. And like the the idea is like, well, did they learn it from their their parents? It's like, no, but they did watch a YouTube video. Does that count? mean it's like
0: and then that gets complicated again when you talk about what we were thinking of this kind of like exodus and migration of people you know if you learn it from your grandparents but you don't grow up in that area or that tradition like can you still count it as folk art or maybe you grew up in app like you're someone who moved to appalachia as a child but doesn't have the traditions there but then you're learning it on youtube
1: yeah there's like i uh i can't remember when this was maybe 2021 i got on reddit and i was like let me see if i can find some random person floating out here who so i looked at the reddit the subreddit of appalachia it's pretty interesting there's like all these people like
0: oh i would love to know what that's like (laughs)
1: like there's people like living in washington state who are like that are engaging with like Appalachian culture. And it's like, well, how do we how do we bring that into the fold of the conversation? Um where yeah, we're just living in a wildly different world and uh no place is like a sacred safe haven. It's like everything is accessible uh at this point. And um boundaries are becoming I don't know. It just seems like boundaries are becoming less important because it's like someone who lives in Cincinnati, Ohio can be like I'm Appalachian, you know, because of my grandparents live there or something, you know. Like. and so I've like thought about my own identity of like Appalachian. It's like, does it really matter? I don't know. I don't know if it really matters. Um,
0: I agree with you. I think the more
1: which I used yeah. to I used to be like no i i am a person you're
0: so rooted in the identity
1: i am a person from this specific place y'all don't know and then i'm like well it's not doing any any good you know it's like i'm gonna bury myself in a hole and um no one wants to talk to that person
0: I think if you're doing meaningful work and engaging meaningfully with the community that you're in and that you identify with, it doesn't really matter in the end. And it's interesting what you bring up. I was digging in the archives, um, looking at some different magazines of Appalachia the other day, and I found – this one that was talking about—I don't even know if it's still around—but a store that once existed in Midtown Manhattan that was like an Appalachian Wares and Goods store, and all these people in Manhattan could go and buy their like Appalachian craft goods. And then I think about you know my entry point into Southern Studies and Appalachian Studies was also Hillbilly Elegy, um, and it was really when I, I was taking memoir classes and writing about my family, and everybody said, "Well, this is like a better Hillbilly Elegy," and you know, at the time you're like, I, I guess that's a good thing. Like, hillbillyology is so popular. And then you actually start engaging in it. And you're like, that is not at all a compliment. But just thinking about um, stereotypes and representations and what the internet has done, would you say in your work as a documentarian, do you think it's made it better or worse in terms of these stereotypes that now people can kind of engage with this identity and this culture from anywhere?
1: Yeah, uh, <clears throat> I feel like... It's just a further extension of the surface level understanding of like people in place that like tourism and the folk art industry has created. It's kind of like extension of that. It's like buying a buying a uh, like a fretless banjo. You know, it's like, I'm engaging in Appalachian culture. <laughs> um, and there's like so many, like, I I don't have TikTok, never have. But I am curious, and, I, and people have shared videos with me. I'm curious about like, I'm sure there's just so much Appalachian videos that are happening on there.
0: Oh, there's so... I recently got on TikTok and became bombarded with it. And one of the most fascinating things to me is... There's this big trend on TikTok, especially where people talk about, you know, don't go out alone in the Blue Ridge Mountains, like late at night and all of these different legends and stories. And so much of my work is in legends and stories. And I'm like, well, I grew up. In spending every summer with my family in the Blue Ridge, and I spent many nights alone in the wood. Like I've never heard this. But then you almost start to like second guess yourself because then it's like if so many people are talking about this, like, am I just missing out? But then you have a lot of people who actually are from Appalachia who are like, I don't know what y'all are talking about. But this has been like everywhere. It's all over TikTok, and it's wild to me of where did this come from? And as someone who works so much in like myths and legends and narratives and how myths of the South get passed down, I find it like a fascinating example of transmission. Of suddenly, I have my friends in Ireland and Australia texting me, being like, "What's happening in the blue? <laughs> <laughs> th- in this, where you're from? Like, what's happening here at night?" And me just wondering, like, "How did we get that? Like the way in which these stories get passed down, I think speaks really broadly for the region as a whole. Of Nobody really knows where these things come from. And yet somehow a lot of us buy into them in so many different ways, whether it's a good story or a bad story. I don't know about this one on TikTok.
1: <laughs> I guess the closest thing is like snipe hunting. I guess it's like the, you know about that? No. No, don't. Know. <laughs> uh, yeah. You, you know, it's like a, a trick that you do with people that you, um, you know, it's late at night, you're all hanging out, and you're like, y'all wanna go snipe hunting? And there's someone who doesn't know what that is, and you're like, "What's well, a bird. It's, like, runs around on the ground. And you have to, like, <laughs> take a trash bag and with a stick and, like, beat it on it in the inside of the bag and, like, make some kind of, like, holler hollering, like, out in the field. Like, and you leave that person out while doing that, and it's... It's kind of a trick you play on people.
0: I'm amazed this hasn't been played on me before because it seems like I'm a prime target. (laughs) Yeah. Now I'll know. Thank you for the tip.
1: Yeah. Don't go snap him. Make other people go snap him.
0: Yeah. If you learn nothing else from this podcast, that's what you learn. (laughs) Don't go snipe hunting if someone has.
1: Um, But like, there's like, yeah, there's like all those like the stories of the people in the Blue Ridge, whatever, and the... There's flat-footing, there's, like, banjo playing, all, all these, like, manifestations. And, you know, being here in Boone and app studies, it's like, whoa, there's this whole world of, like, all this, like, folk kind of culture. But I, like, have not taken any... Folklore classes, or read any of the folklore classics. Where, if there are lists, I don't, I don't know of them, but um,
0: there are. You could probably avoid most of them, I think.
1: I'm pretty sure someone else told me the exact same thing. Who went through a folklore program? They were like, "You, you're fine if you don't read them." Um, but I was at the American Folklore Society meeting in Tulsa this past fall, and just engaging with all those other types of folklore like gaming and like memes and
0: folklore futurisms it's my whole thing
1: (laughs) and like how folklore plays out in some of like like uh the oklahoma blues and all that kind of it's like i think it really like shattered the whole Appalachian folklore exceptionalism for me and like because I didn't know anything else so um yeah I think that was like a big eye-opener for me to be like there are so many amazing little ways that people that I guess folk traditions play out in people's lives every day anywhere it could happen in this small corner in Brooklyn or something, you know, it's like there's there's so many great ways to experience folk culture in, in America or in the world, really. really? Um So... <clears throat> and I just feel like the ways in which it presents itself in Appalachia are very, like, very obvious and they're very commercialized and, you know, they're modified i guess more easily
0: would you say that has contributed to kind of the outsider perception of appalachia which is often interested but not positive at least in my experience
1: (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah it's like they don't have to think they don't have to think deeply about it they just you know um it could be anyone with a pair of overalls on or something, and it's like, whoa! Who's the App slash in person? And then the people here are like, oh, this is so frustrating, because they don't represent me or us. And that happens a lot. It feels like, you know, you see, like, an article. I've had someone send me articles, a guy that I know, I don't want to name any names, but... And not that I, you know, I'm sure he would be fine, but... Uh he's from Tennessee he had sent me an article that was wrote in 2016 and it was like in his county and the ar- journalist did a terrible job like representing like his hometown, his people and he, you know talking about Trump country obviously um, I was
0: going to say 2016 and I can take a guess as to what that's about <laughs>
1: um but it's like that happens so many times you see like a news article or something and you're like ah oh, my gosh Are you kidding me um and there's just like not that I'm an expert in like knowing the the right talking points or like in knowing all of the issues to talk about that need to be addressed there's a lot of them but um i just feel like the true heart of the people that live here the narrative isn't centered on like on that it's like a superficial um level misses the true story i guess the true narrative
0: i think people are able to focus on that as a way almost to circumvent like deep engagement with some of the real problems that we're up against um both in appalachia and in the south that So, And I want to talk about your work with this because so much of your work has focused on labor and climate, um, which I haven't worked as much in labor, but I have worked a lot in climate, especially on the coast. And I find that a lot of journalism that comes out about these places tends to lean so heavily into the politics and the stereotypes that we're not actually talking about some of the real issues that people really are dealing with every day. And I think your work does a good job of engaging with those, and I would... I hope to see more artists continue to do that. But could you tell us a little bit about both labor and climate? Which are two things you've engaged in your work and, and how you've brought them in and why they feel important to you.
1: I just feel like um like in some of the readings that I've been doing recently for classes, it's like brings in like so many there's just such a complex uh discussion to be had that I don't know if it can be um facilitated by an outside organization um it needs to happen here with these people um and then that story can be shared you know outside the region with people that need to engage with it but i feel like um climate and labor are interesting to put side by side because it's like um those are two very politicized um you can tell which which side of the aisle you would be on if you are in favor of labor labor, or in favor in favor of climate, you know issues, and but what's happening here in the mountains? It's like, or here in Appalachia. I can't speak for the whole region, by the way. When I say Appalachian, but southern Appalachia, um, people people need and want jobs like that's just a fact and for people to have and want jobs you're gonna have there's gonna be a little bit of like a give and take on the climate you know um, issue or the climate talking points um, and so I feel like that complexity is not always um, addressed I guess in the uh, conversation is that like there's got to be a give and take between communities um, and developers, communities and industry. Um, you know, and we've had a long history of environmentalists and especially in Western North Carolina, that have fought to stop clear cutting and all that stuff in the, in the mountains here. But
0: I think it's interesting. I'd never really thought about, you're absolutely right that they are kind of, naturally these days in politics on oppositional sides but when you really dig into the history so much of appalachian history is about labor organizing and also environmental organizing and i think they don't have to be on opposite sides and i i wonder how we get back to that point i i don't know i think that's the ongoing conversation but that's a really interesting way to put it that based on people's bigger concern is it climate or is it labor you can kind of make a decent guess as to where they stand politically. And I do think those are like two of the main issues you see people in this region really worried about right now. Um, It is kind of either labor or climate and depending on who you're talking to, you're going to get different versions of which one is more important. And I think, I think they're of equal importance, but it seems hard to get people to agree on that.
1: Yeah. And there's like, I'd I'd read something about like how like, you know, environmental regulations, you know, people from outside the region be like, Oh, that's great. We are... Even people in the region will be like, that's great. We're saving our rivers, our forests. But it's like, at what expense are you not allowing this person to have their regular farm practices or whatever practices they need to do to make their living? Um, it affects people, uh, the working class people, in a negative way that... And it's hard to, uh, it, you know, share those stories and expose those stories at a larger scale. Like the climate issue is such a huge scale and the labor issue is like a very little like, you know, a little scale. And um, in the mountains, there's a lot of tourism, which that's where we get a lot of, you know, a lot of money. A lot of economy happens because of tourism. Um <clears throat> One because of our natural resources, but that tourism economy doesn't allow for a lot of um, a lot of labor, a lot of like working people to have like sustaining jobs. And so, whereas like coal mining, you had like huge environmental destruction. We also had. A lot of jobs and a lot of people being able to work and so on one side of the aisle it's like well we were able to work other side of the aisle it's like well you were destroying the nature in your body
0: what do we do with that with kind of the popularity of these new urban cities like i can't help but think of asheville which i have such fond memories of going to asheville 20 25 years ago and it feels like a completely different world um then when you go up there now, and it, it's such a city that in a lot of ways, it reminds me of Charleston in South Carolina, which is where I spent the high school years of my life, cities that both really thrive on tourism and that often attract a specific type of person who wants to live in the South and enjoy many of the benefits of that without really having to like meaningfully engage with what it means to be a Southerner. Um, I don't know what we do with urbanization in a lot of these issues, because I guess you could say Asheville's bringing jobs, but also look at what Asheville's done to the surrounding region. And I'm personally always really interested in North Carolina, you know, 78 of our 100 counties are rural, but then we also have these major cities and these urban counties that are expanding and continually, continuously encroaching upon that. I don't know how we reckon with that, but I would love to hear your thoughts on urbanization within this kind of category. And how do you deal with that as a photographer and a documentarian?
1: Um, <laughs> yeah. I feel like that has been like something I like wanted to do recently. Um, kind of like the, the, was it the new topographic movement um, photographing like infrastructure and things like that. And I feel like the, I don't, I don't see a lot of that now like photographing uh, new development or infrastructure. Um, I haven't seen anyone's work recently that's, like, doing that. And um, especially places like here in Boone, things are drastically changing, like, overnight because... There's lots of reasons because, but...
0: And universities' role in this, too, I mean, like, what Chapel Hill is doing to chatham county and alamance and don't even get me started on duke i mean (laughs) it's it's an ongoing problem across the state but yeah i don't really know anyone there's nothing that comes to mind for me and if anyone listening knows knows of anyone doing this work send it our way but yeah i can't think of anybody
1: i uh you know just been recently thinking like man (laughs) like how do we document this now because it's going to be different like next year you know it's going to be happen so quickly um, and like all the years of my life Caldwell <clears throat> County where I grew up and Hickory and Catawba County nothing really changed until like two years ago a year ago and now things are like rapidly changing very like which it could be from all of the like infrastructure money that's been put out through the government but it's like crazy all this all this change is happening it's like well we need a photograph how do we photograph this how do we like document this now so that later and a a good example is rob Amberg's book you know who that is i don't think so he's a photographer documentary photographer that lived lives in i think madison county north carolina um
0: i love madison county (laughs) beautiful
1: he uh, he photographed I-26 being built in Asheville um, and he photographed along the way the churches and the people's homes and the cemeteries that had to be moved the marker he he did like it was like photographs but also a lot of information about like the formation of this project and I think that that is a uh um a height to aspire to, to that kind of work.
0: They could do it with what they're doing on forty I, right now. I, I mean was that was exactly that. what came to mind as you were trying. I was like <laughs> the amount of times I have sat on the construction I forty <laughs> Yeah. If y'all are not from North Carolina, I forty is one of our big like main thoroughfare highways that runs pretty much from the mountains east but it is undergoing some pretty major development that's been going on for what like three four years but i feel like it's never ending
1: isn't it like right outside burlington or like green is it
0: yeah it's it's right because it's it's usually about halfway for me when i'm heading up that way um from here
1: it's crazy it it's is. like w- yeah. they have changed the landscape like just like what in the world like is going on like this is another world um i've thought about wanting to stop and photograph them but
0: yeah photography has the power to show what's happening around but also build new worlds with it i guess and yeah i don't know there's so much to be said we we'll, we we need to just get you on here for like part 2 because i'm like now i want to talk about <laughs> new worlds and reimagining futures but I know we are coming up on our hour time, and I promised I wouldn't keep you past that. Um, do you have anything, lastly, that you would like to add on kind of labor? We have a question that we always end with, but before I get into it, I, wanna, I don't, I don't want to cut off this because there's, there's so many more things to be said, truly.
1: About labor or the environment or climate? <laughs> <laughs> about
0: labor, about I 40, <laughs> about reimagining new worlds. I don't know, all the things.
1: Like, I just want to say, if you visit their area, just say hello to someone, you know, that you meet. Or uh, take the time to be intentional and observe, like, your surroundings more, I guess. Um, and just be aware of uh, of where you're at, I guess. And, you know, anybody... Anybody's welcome. You know, everyone's welcome. Like come talk about Appalachia, engage with Appalachia, Um, leave Appalachia. If you want to come back to Appalachia. (laughs) Uh, I know it's not about, I know it's not about labor, but I don't know. I just feel like. um,
0: No, I think that's, I think that's well said. Um, It's something that came up in a conversation. We just, we just published this episode, but we were talking about living in a place without really living in a place And you can exist somewhere and you can call it home without ever truly engaging in it. And I think the core of this is engage in the places you exist in. You know, don't just be there, but
1: find your app. Yeah, find your Appalachia where you are. Like there's, there's.
0: (laughs) Should make that a slogan here find your Appalachia. (laughs) The tourism board should hire us at this (laughs) point.
1: Yeah, like engage deeper because there's the, the levels of. History and culture that present that are present in Appalachia are not uh, only present here; they're present everywhere. So, engage where you are, uh, and that's what I've done mostly. That's that's what it's been about: is engaging with who I am and where I'm at. With Eudora Welty's famous quote, uh, "One place understood is to understand all places better." So, go with that.
0: Well said. Well said, you know our wealthy. <laughs> our final question for you, and this is for everybody. I'm kind of springing it on you here. Sometimes I give people warning. Most of the time I don't. Um, and you can take it however you would like to. But our final question tonight is, what do you believe in? Whether it's for yourself, or Appalachia, you know, we like to always end with a, a hard hitter.
1: <laughs> Let's see what I believe in. God, throw it on me like that. <laughs>
0: <laughs> it's funny because every single time I do... Sometimes I try to... I always tell myself I'm going to warn people at the start so they can think about it, and then I always forget and never do, and everyone has the same reaction. They're like,
1: seriously? <laughs> um, <clears throat> I believe we're going to be all right. I think that's... Uh, I think we'll... Whether Appalachia as a region like continues or dissolves or whatever, you know, it's like um above all things we're we are human. Um and as Terrence of Affer said, uh I'm human, therefore nothing human is foreign to me. So um I believe in the common good of uh of everyone that uh that we all can be neighbors.
0: I love that. I agree. That's where good folk came from is I just believe they're good folk and they're good people if you're willing to look for them. So Jesse, thank you so much. Um, I want to keep talking to you for like hours and and rant about Appalachia, but for anyone who wants to follow your work and engage, where can they find you?
1: Um, at J underscore barb on Instagram and, um, and
0: we'll link, we'll link to everything. So yeah. <laughs> don't worry if it's like exactly right.
1: Yeah. Uh, I have a website where I feel like if you want to engage in a more slow, n- a non-distractive way that Instagram is, uh, that's um, that's my preferred space of engaging with, you know, websites are the, the better place to engage with people's, like visual work so
0: yeah and definitely check out jesse's photos because they're they feel at least for me very resemblant of the home i know in a really beautiful way and yeah it's amazing and I'm, i'm so glad to have you here to anyone listening yeah thank you so much yeah thank you for being here thank you for listening have a good day good night be good stay good